This is the greatest of all time speeches and journals. Cometh the hour, cometh the man. And here comes the man. Frederick Douglass, um, who was born in February 14th, 1818, although this was the assumed date, as um, he didn't actually have a, a birth certificate to be able to identify his birthday. So he picked that date himself and passed on uh, February 20th, 1895. Um, Frederick Douglass, uh, what, what can you, I mean, there's so much about his story that's inspiring and fascinating. I know I'm missing much, but please understand my main goal is actually his speech. However, it needs to be noted, he, he was born a slave and didn't know his father and was taken from his mother, essentially raised by his grandmother. And this kind of behavior was done in those times to really break slaves' um, morale and also increase productivity, um, allowing the young women to work rather than raise kids. Um, and so when he got to seven or eight, he was taken from his grandmother also. So now he has no mother, no father. Now he's been lost to his grandmother to go to um, a slave owner. Um, but interestingly enough, the slave owner's uh, wife started teaching him to read, although the husband didn't like that very much and eventually convinced uh, that to stop. Um, but it was too late. Douglas loved reading too much. The, the, he'd already got the bug and he started to self-teach himself. Um, how to read, which is just remarkable. But he didn't just teach himself. He taught other slaves also. And this has basically got him caused to be shipped to a much more aggressive slave owner who who beat him terribly um, until one day he actually fought back and got into an actual fist fight with the slave owner. It's a miracle he wasn't killed for that. Um, but he must have put up a really good fight because the slave owner never hit him again afterwards. And from there, his story is just is long and fully he manages to escape he skips different states meets a woman gets married releases a back bestseller book imagine that you know you're a slave and you're managing to do that in the 1800s but as a result he has to run because of details of his escape from slavery in there so he ends up in europe for a few years where he raises money and comes back and becomes um abolitionist and uh, a leader of that movement really and he gets the ear of abraham lincoln and advises him and he fought to allow African-Americans to join the war against the Confederacy. And, and like I said, there's a lot of detail missing, but you get the drift. He, he has an incredible story. And this lay, leads him to giving the speech in memory of Abraham Lincoln, which was attended by uh, President Grant and the Supreme Justices at the time and, and everyone, really. Um, this was in 1876. Uh, it was the anniversary of Abraham Lincoln's assassination and of the emancipation of the slaves in the District of Columbia. Um, and so it's fitting that this was the man to give this speech. Um, so let's dive in. Fellow citizens, in what we have said and done today, and in what we may say and do hereafter, we disclaim everything like arrogance and assumption. We claim for ourselves no superior devotion to the character, history, and memory of the illustrious name whose monument we have here dedicated today. We fully comprehend the relation of Abraham Lincoln both to ourselves and to the white people of the United States. Truth is proper and beautiful at all times and in all places, 
and it is never more proper and beautiful in any case than when speaking of a great public man whose example is likely to be commended for honor and imitation long after his departure to the solemn shades, the silent continents of eternity. It must be admitted, truth compels me to admit, even here in the presence of the monument we have erected to his memory, Abraham Lincoln was not in the fullest sense of the word, either our man or our model. In his interests, in his associations, in his habits of thought and in his prejudices, he was a white man. He was preeminently the white man's president, entirely devoted to the welfare of white men. He was ready and willing at any time during the first years of his administration to deny, postpone and sacrifice the rights of the humanity and the colored people to promote the welfare of the white people of this country. I'll just pause quickly. Um, Frederick Douglass, he, he has a reputation for being unrelenting in his cause. And so people knew at the time from Douglass that, you know, just you're going to hear a good speech, but it's not always going to make you feel comfortable. He, he would challenge people. And even here during the celebration of the life of Abraham Lincoln, with all of the people and the people who loved Lincoln, he was still pointing to the shortcomings of the man himself. At an event like this, usually it's all positive messages. and But Douglas wasn't like that. And he will round his talk upwards, but he doesn't, he doesn't do that by omitting information. He does it by contrasting the good against the bad. Contrast is the powerful ingredient in this speech uh, from Douglas. Uh, he uses it masterfully, and we'll touch on that later. We'll continue on. In all his education and feeling, he was an American of the Americans. He came into the presidential chair upon one principle alone, namely opposition to the extension of slavery. His arguments in furtherance of this policy had their motive and mainspring in his patriotic devotion to the interest of his own race. To protect, defend, and perpetuate slavery in the states where it existed, Abraham Lincoln was not less ready than any other president to draw the sword of the nation. He was ready to execute all the supposed guarantees of the United States Constitution in favor of the slave system anywhere in sight inside the slave states. He was willing to pursue, recapture, and send back the fugitive slave to his master and to suppress a slave rising for liberty, though his guilty master were already in the arms against the government. The race to which we belong were not the special objects of his consideration. Knowing this, I concede to you, my white fellow citizens, a preeminence in this worship at once full and supreme. First, mitts, and last, you and yours were the objects of his deepest affection and his most earnest solicitude. You are the children of Abraham Lincoln. We are at best only his stepchildren, children by adoption, children by forces of circumstances and necessity. To you, it especially belongs to sound his praises, to preserve and perpetuate his memory, to multiply his statues, to hang his pictures high upon your walls and commend his example. For to you, he was a great and glorious friend and benefactor. Instead of supplanting you at his altar, we would exhort you to build high his monuments. Let them be of the most costly material, of the most cunning workmanship, let their forms be symmetrical, beautiful, and perfect. 
Let their bases be upon solid rocks and their summits lean against the unchanging blue overhanging sky and let them endure forever. But while in the abundance of your wealth and in the fullness of your just and patriotic devotion you do all this, we entreat you to despise not the humble offering we this day unveil to view. For while Abraham Lincoln saved for you a country, he delivered us from a bondage. According to Jefferson, one hour of which was worse than all <clears throat> the ages of oppression your fathers rose in rebellion to oppose. Just pause. <clears throat> you start to see some of that contrast that I was talking about earlier here. You know, he points out clearly Abraham Lincoln was the white man's president. We were only, you know, the stepchildren at best, probably, you know, but then... But then he goes on and says lines like, he delivered us from bondage. You know, build up these monuments to him. Hang his picture high. Spare no expense. He he encourages that. And, it, and it's going from highs and lows here. And we'll see him transition and contrast in his speech. Now carry on. Fellow citizens, ours is no newborn seal and devotion, merely a thing of this moment. The name of Abraham Lincoln was near and dear to our hearts in the darkest and most perilous hours of the Republic. We were no more ashamed of him when shrouded in clouds of darkness, of doubt and defeat than when we saw him crowned with victory, honor and glory. Our faith in him was often taxed and strained to the uttermost, but it never failed. When he tarried long in the mountain, when he strangely told us that we were the cause of the war, when he still more strangely told us that we were to leave the land in which we were born, when he refused to employ our arms in the defense of the Union, when after accepting our service as colored soldiers, he refused to retaliate our murder and torture as colored prisoners, when he told us he would save the Union if he could with slavery, <clears throat> when he revoked the proclamation of emancipation of General Fremont, when he refused to remove the popular commander of the army of uh, Potomac in the days of its inaction and defeat, who was more zealous in his efforts to protect slavery than to suppress rebellion. When we saw all this and more, we were at times grieved and stunned and greatly bewildered, but our hearts believed while they ached and bled. Wow, that last line, that gets you, hey, our hearts believed while they ached and bled. I wonder how many people experience that feeling. See, it's interesting you know, who we have affection for, isn't it? I mean... You know, for example, as a society, if a Hollywood celebrity walks down the street, he or she will receive adulation because they're popular, really. And, and generally, they're not popular for something they've done themselves, but rather acting, you know, they're acting something that somebody else has done. Um, but, you know, true love and ad adulation, it, it usually comes, you know, in a day-to-day -day circumstance. It has, it has to overcome the shortcomings of the people we love. Often we, you know, you love your parents, but despite the many areas we see them perform, we still love them. You know, we want to take care of them and and serve them, and we love our partner even when they hurt us or don't always keep us there at the end of the bargain. You know, at the end of the day, um, real love and adulation it, it comes in spite of the imperfections and serious errors. And I think Douglas here is laying out the hurt his people had felt due to Lincoln's shortcomings uh, before he goes into any affections that he that he might have. I'll carry on. 
Nor was this, even at that time, a blind and unreasoning superstition. Despite the mitts and haze that surrounded him, despite the tumult, the, the hurry and confusion of the hour, we were able to take a comprehensive view of Abraham Lincoln and to make reasonable allowance for the circumstances of, of his position. We saw him, measured him, and estimated him, not by the stray utterances to judicious, tedious delegations, <clears throat> who often tried his patience, not by isolated facts torn from their connection, not by any partial and imperfect glimpses caught at inopportune moments, but by broad survey in the light of the stern logic of great events and in view of that divinity which shapes our ends, rough-hew them how we will, we came to the conclusion that the hour and the man of our redemption had somehow met in the person of Abraham Lincoln. It mattered little to us what language he might employ on special occasions. It mattered little to us when we fully knew him, whether he was swift or slow in his movements. It was enough for us that Abraham Lincoln was at the head of a great movement and was in living and earnest sympathy with that movement, which in the nature of things must go on until slavery should be utterly and forever abolished in the United States. When therefore it shall be asked what we have to do with the memory of Abraham Lincoln or what Abraham Lincoln had to do with us, the answer is ready, full, and complete. Though he loved Caesar less than Rome, though the union was more to him than our freedom or our future, under his wise and beneficent rule, we saw ourselves gradually lifted from the depths of slavery to the heights of liberty and manhood. Under his wise and beneficent rule, and by measures approved and vigorously pressed by him, we saw that the handwriting of the ages in the form of prejudice and prescription was rapidly fading away from the face of our whole country under his rule and in due time about as soon after all the country could tolerate the strange spectacle we saw our brave sons and brothers laying off the rags of bondage being clothed all over in blue uniforms of the soldiers of the united states under his rule we saw 200,000 of our dark and dusky people responding to the call of abraham lincoln and with muskets on their shoulders and eagles on their buttons, timing their high footsteps to liberty and union under the national flag. Under his rule, we saw the independence of the Black Republic of Haiti, the special object of slaveholding, aversion and horror, fully recognized and her minister, a colored gentleman, duly received here in the city of Washington. Under his rule, we saw the internal slave trade, which so long disgraced the nation, abolished and slavery abolished in the District of Columbia. Under his rule, we saw for the first time the law enforced against the foreign slave trade and the first slave trader hanged like any other pirate or murderer under, the, under his rule, assisted by the greatest captain of our age. And his inspiration, we saw the Confederate States based upon the idea that our race must be slaves and slaves forever, battered to pieces and scattered to the four winds under his rule and in the fullness of time we saw abraham lincoln after giving the slaveholders three months grace in which to save the hateful slave system penning the immortal paper which though special in its language was general in its principles and effect making slavery forever impossible in, in the united states though we waited long we saw all this and more can any colored man or any white man friendly to the freedom of all men ever forget that night which followed the first day of January 1863 when the word was to see if Abraham Lincoln would prove to be as good as his word? I shall never forget that memorable night when in distant city I waited and watched at a public meeting with 3,000 others not less anxious than myself for the word of deliverance, which 
we have heard read today, nor shall I ever forget the outburst of joy and thanksgiving that rent the air when the lightning brought us to this emancipation pro pro proclamation. In that happy hour, we forgot all delay and forgot all tardiness. We forgot the president had bribed the rebels to lay down their arms by a promise to withhold the bolt which would smite the slave system with destruction. And we were thenceforward willing to allow the president all the latitude of time phraseology and every honorable device that statesmanship might require for the achievement of a great and beneficent measure of liberty and progress. Just pause. Um, there's a lot obviously in that, and this is a fairly long speech, but it's just impossible for someone like me to understand or you know, know what any of this was like without experiencing it myself. And thankfully it's not something I've had to experience in my lifetime. But reading these words, I, um, I feel like I'm getting insight into the feelings of Douglas and his people. I mean, imagine sitting waiting for the word to be read that they were free. I mean, my heart swells at the scene. And Douglas commits that, um, you know, any shortcomings that may have been seen at Lincoln, they all disappeared through that experience. We'll carry on. Fellow citizens, there is little necessity on this occasion to speak at length and critically of this great and good man and of his high mission in the world. That ground has fully occupied and completely covered both here and elsewhere. The whole field of fact and fancy has been gleaned and garnered. Any man can say things that are true of Abraham Lincoln, but no man can say anything that is new of Abraham Lincoln. His personal traits and public acts are better known to the American people than are those of any other man of his age. He was a mystery to no man who saw him and heard him. Though high in position, the humblest could approach him and feel at home in his presence. Though deep, he, <clears throat> though deep he was transparent. Though strong, he was gentle. Though decided and pronounced in his convictions, he was tolerant towards those who differed from him and patient under reproaches. Even those <clears throat> who only knew him through his public utterances obtained a tolerably clear idea of his character and personality. The image of the man went out without his words, and those who read them knew. I have said that President Lincoln was a white man and shared the prejudices common to his countrymen towards the colored race. Looking back to his times and to the condition of his country, we are compelled to admit that this unfriendly feeling on his part may be safely set down as one element of his wonderful success in organizing the loyal American people for the tremendous conflict before them and bringing them safely through that conflict. His great mission was to accomplish two things. First, to save his country from dismemberment and ruin, and second, to free his country from the great crime of slavery. To do one or the other or both, he must have the earnest sympathy and the powerful cooperation of his loyal fellow countrymen. Without this primary and essential condition to success, his efforts must have been vain and utterly fruitless. Had he put the abolition of slavery before the salvation of the Union, he would have inevitably driven from him powerful class of the American people and rendered resistance to the re rebellion impossible. Viewed from the genuine abolition ground, Mr. Lincoln seemed tardy, cold, dull, and indifferent. But measuring him by the sentiment of his country, a sentiment he was bound as a statesman to consult, he was swift, zealous, radical, and determined. Just pause. It's interesting, isn't it? Um, I suppose that's politics right there. 
you, you can't always do what is best because you have to bring the people with you. And the problem is not everyone is ready for change at the same time, no matter what the issue. In this case, the specific issue of slavery. So Lincoln understood um, that politics were a big part of this movement, which caused him to probably move slowly at times to the detriment of the African-American people, which I'm sure was part of that hurt which caused a lot of pain, that there there wasn't swift change. But in another way, he was swift because he was working a strategy. And it depends. And that's what Fred um, Douglas is pointing out here. I'll carry on. Though Mr. Lincoln shared the prejudices of his white fellow countrymen against the Negro, it is hardly necessary to say that in his heart of hearts he loathed and hated slavery. The man who could say, fondly do we hope, fervently do we pray that this mighty scourge of war shall soon pass away yet if god wills it continue till all the wealth piled by 200 years of bondage shall have been wasted and each drop of blood drawn by the lash shall have been paid for by one drawn by the sword the judgments of the lord are true and righteous altogether gives all needed proof of his feeling of the subject of slavery He was willing, while the South was loyal, that it should have its pound of flesh, because he thought that it was so nominated in the bond, but farther than this, no earthly power could make him go. Fellow citizens, whatever else in this world may be partial, unjust, and uncertain, time, time, is impartial, just and certain in its action. In the realm of mind, as well as in the realm of matter, it is the great worker and often works wonders. The honest and comprehensive statesman, clearly discerning the needs of his country and earnestly endeavouring to do his whole duty, though covered and blistered with reproaches, may safely leave his course to the silent judgment of time. Few great public men have ever been the victims of a fiercer denunciation than Abraham Lincoln was during his administration. He was often wounded in the house of his friends. Reproaches came thick and fast upon him from within and from without, and from opposite quarters. He was assailed by abolitionists. He was assailed by slaveholders. He was assailed by the men who were for peace at any price. He was assailed by those who were for a more vigorous prosecution of the war. He was assailed for not making the war an abolition war, and he was bitterly, bitterly assailed for making the war an abolition war. Just pause. <clears throat> Gee, I mean, it puts perspective there, doesn't it? I mean, the road to real progress comes at a cost, and the cost often no one wants to pay. You know, there's on all sides, someone's having to give something up for a change, and some a lot more than others. But Lincoln was attacked by all of them for the cost, and he, you know, all sides attacking him because he was making serious change. But it was good change. But good change sometimes comes at, at some kind of difficulty. So, um, and in fact, good change often comes at, at difficulty. We'll carry on. But now behold the change. The judgment of the present hour is that taking him for all in all, measuring the tremendous magnitude of the work before him, considering the necessary means to ends, and surveying the end from the beginning, infinite wisdom has seldom sent any man into the world better fitted for his mission than Abraham Lincoln. <clears throat> his birth, his training, and his natural endowments, both mental and physical, were strongly in his favor. 
born and reared among the lowly, a stranger to wealth and luxury, compelled to grapple single-handed with the flintiest hardships of life. From tender youth to study manhood, sturdy manhood, he grew strong in the manly and heroic qualities demanded by the great mission to which he was called by the votes of his countrymen. The hard condition of his early life, which would have depressed and broken down weaker men, only gave greater life, vigor, and buoyancy to the heroic spirit of Abraham Lincoln. He was ready for any kind and any quality of work. What other young men dreaded in the shape of toil, he took hold of with the utmost cheerfulness. A spade, a rake, a hoe, a pickaxe or a bill, a hook to reek, a scythe to mow, a flower or what you will. All day long he could split heavy rails in the woods, and half the night long he could study his English grammar. By the uncertain flare and glare of the light made by a pine knot, he was at home <clears throat> on the land with his axe, with his maul, with gluts, with wedges. He was equally at home with water, with oars, with poles, and with planks, and with his boat hooks. And whether in his flat boat on the Mississippi River, <clears throat> or at a fireside of his frontier cabin, he was a man of work, a son of toil himself. He was linked in brotherly sympathy with the sons of toil in every loyal part of the Republic. This very fact gave him tremendous power with the American people and materially contributed not only to selecting him to the presidency, but in sustaining his administration of the government. <clears throat> I, When I'm reading these words... I'm just pausing the speech, obviously. Um, there's so much affection from Frederick Douglass here. I mean, he he's admitting his love and affection for Lincoln through his words, even though he'd previously acknowledged his hurt and disappointment <clears throat> um, because of Lincoln's perceived indifference to his people's plights. Douglass, truly, he has a deep affection for the man, which rises above all those feelings of hurt. It's a deep affection, and it comes through in this speech. <clears throat> I'll carry on. Upon his inauguration as President of the United States, an office even when assumed under the most favorable conditions, fitted to tax <clears throat> and strain the largest abilities, Abraham Lincoln was met by a tremendous crisis. He was called upon not merely to administer the government, but to decide in the face of terrible odds the fate of the republic. A formidable rebellion rose in his path before him. The Union was already practically dissolved. His country was torn and rent asunder at the centre. Hostile armies were already organised against the Republic, armed with the munitions of war, which the Republic had provided for its own defence. <clears throat> the tremendous question for him to decide was whether his country should survive the crisis and flourish, or be dismembered and perish. His predecessor in office had already decided the question in favour of a national dismemberment by denying to it the right of self-defence and self-preservation, a right which belongs to the meanest insect. Happily for the country, happily for you and for me, the judgment of James Buchanan, the patrician, was not the judgment of Abraham Lincoln, the plebeian. He brought his strong common sense sharpened in the school of adversity to bear upon the question. <clears throat> he did not hesitate. He did not doubt. He did not falter. 
but at once resolved that at whatever peril, at whatever cost, the union of the states should be preserved. A patriot himself, his faith was strong and unwavering in the patriotism of his countrymen. Timid men said before Mr. Lincoln's inauguration that we had seen the last president of the United States. A voice in influential quarters said, let the union slide. Some said the union maintained by the sword was worthless. Others said a rebellion of 8 million cannot be suppressed. But in the midst of all this tumult and timidity, and against all this, Abraham Lincoln was clear in his duty and had an oath in heaven. He calmly and bravely heard the voice of doubt and fear all around him. But he had an oath in heaven, and there was not power enough on earth to make this honest boatman, backwoodsman, and broad-handed splitter of rails evade or violate that secret oath. He had not been schooled in the ethics of slavery. His plain life had favoured his love of truth. He had not been taught that treason and perjury were the proof of honour and honesty. His moral training <clears throat> was against his saying one thing when he meant another. The trust that Abraham Lincoln had in himself and in the people was surprising and grand, but it was also enlightened and well-founded. He knew the American people better than they knew themselves, and his truth was based upon this knowledge. <clears throat> Fellow citizens, the 14th day of April, 1865, of which this is the 11th anniversary, is now and will ever remain a memorable day in the annals of this republic. It was on the evening of this day, while a fierce and sanguinary rebellion was in the last stages of its desolating power, while its armies were broken and scattered before the invincible armies of the Grant and Sherman, while a great nation, <clears throat> torn and rent by war, was already beginning to raise to the skies loud anthems of joy at the dawn of peace, it was startled, amazed, and overwhelmed by the crowning crime of slavery, the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. <clears throat> it was a new crime, a pure act of malice. No purpose of the rebellion was to be served by it. It was the simple gratification of a hell-black spirit of revenge. But it has done good after all. It has filled the country with a deeper abhorrence of slavery and a deeper love for the great liberator. Had Abraham Lincoln died from any of the numerous ills to which flesh is heir, had he reached that good old age of which his vigorous constitution and his temperate habits gave promise, had he been permitted to see the end of his great work, had the solemn curtain of death come down but gradually, we should still have been smitten with a heavy grief and a treasured his name lovingly. But dying as he did die, by the red hand of violence, killed, assassinated, taken off without warning, not because of his personal hate for no man who knew Abraham Lincoln could hate him, but because of his, of his fidelity to union and liberty, he is doubly dear to us, and his memory will be precious forever. Fellow citizens, I end as I began with congratulations. We have done a good work for our race today. In doing honour to the memory of our friend and liberator, we have been doing highest honours to ourselves and those who come after us. We have been fastening ourselves to a name and fame imperishable and immortal. We have also been defending ourselves from a, from a blighting scandal. When now it shall be said that the colored man is soulless, that he has no appreciation of benefits or benefactors. When the foul reproach of ingratitude is hurled at us and it is attempted to scourge us beyond the range of human brotherhood, we may calmly point to the monument we have this day erected to the memory 
of Abraham Lincoln. Uh, end of speech. Um, I think that's a very clever way to finish that speech. I mean, clearly, he's saying by lifting up Abraham Lincoln, we lift ourselves up. And isn't that the truth? When someone goes around, you see, and you know, there's lots of people like this, and they start telling you how great they are. You know, everyone shuts off because no one wants to hear someone talk about that. Or if somebody's complaining about someone all the time, no one wants to hear that either. But when someone speaks of others' deeds and lifts others up, they don't only impress us with their own stories or, or, or other people's stories and successes, but they impress us with their own humility. Their own greatness increases because of that. And I, I imagine sitting and listening to Frederick Douglass give a speech of any kind will just be overwhelming. But I, I can't help but imagine being able to sit with this man and just have a conversation would be just the next level of awe-inspiring greatness. His experiences would make him just a wealth of knowledge and of goodness. I feel so grateful to be able to read this speech. I'm so grateful to learn from his experiences. And I feel a connection to this man, the great man, Frederick Douglass. Thanks for stopping by. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review. And together, we can share history's lessons with the whole world.